0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Carbonati's Corner, live on Anchor from Spotify. I'm your host, play-by-play announcer for Mass Blue Athletics, Alex Carbonati. Welcome to episode three. Hopefully you're staying safe and continuing social distancing as we still do with this tough time of the coronavirus pandemic. First off, before we kick off the show, I want to thank the first responders on the front lines, keeping us safe and secure, risking their lives for us during this tough time of anguish and anxiety and uh, pressure that's been going on as of late. So either way, let's get right into our show. Today's episode is all about the NFL and the NFL offseason. We've got lots of free agent signings, trades, drama, and plenty of interesting scenarios to talk about that have been set up for the upcoming NFL season this upcoming September. So we'll talk about from Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay to the Texans and their questionable offseason moves to the NFL draft. Who will be number one? Where will Tua go? And we'll even talk about the NFC and AFC mix-ups now. Ever since Tom Brady left the AFC, he goes to the NFC. What that means overall, who are the top contenders in both conferences. So overall, we have it for all of you. So buckle up as you enter Carmenati's Corner. Our first segment today, of course, we'll talk about the free agency and we'll talk about the biggest free agent move this offseason. That, of course, is Tom Brady signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there have been plenty of moves made throughout this offseason, you know, from Phillip Rivers signing with the Colts to Darius Slay getting traded to the Eagles to Emmanuel Sanders signing with New Orleans Saints. But there's one move, one particular move that trumped them all. One. Move that would lead to the greatest quarterback ever in Tom Brady, leaving New England after after 20 years, winning six Super Bowls with that team. He leaves up north, he will head down south, and Tom Brady eventually signed a two-year, $59 million contract, total-wise, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, becoming their new starting quarterback. So, with the signing of Brady, this made an offseason start with a bang. You know, that's a big deal because Tom Brady, he's only been in New England for 20 years. The greatest quarterback in Patriots history, obviously. Maybe and, And again, in my opinion, I think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. When he leads a team that's been... You know, irrelevant for most or its franchise history. Before Brady gets there, he comes out of nowhere. He's a six-round pick. He wins six Super Bowls with that team. He gets that team to nine Super Bowls overall. He turns average players into offensive weapons. He has, you know, turns offenses into great systems. And Brady is uh, he wants in a once-in-a-generational quarterback. And the way he's a, he's been a leader with the Patriots, the way he's driven them to success and be the key of that offense just shows how big of a deal this is and how big of a legend Brady has become in his 20 years with New England. Well, overall, what this means is that Brady gets a fresh start after his 20-year tenure with the Patriots, as I mentioned, winning six Super Bowls and working with his head coach Bill Belichick to get to that success. Again, you can make the argument whether most of it was Brady or Belichick. Overall, those two together, that is one of the best Uh, QB coach duos in NFL history, maybe even the best QB coach duo in NFL history. That's why the Patriots have won six Super Bowl titles over 18 years. And it shows how big, again, I mentioned shows how big of a deal this really is with Brady leaving the Patriots, getting all that success. And now he's going to a different system, completely, a, a completely different team, different conference, different coach, different offensive system, different everything for Tom Brady. So it's a new transition for Tom Brady with this move to Tampa Bay. So what caused this move to happen? You know there was lots of drama involved. When Brady was making his decision to leave New England. And not only this year. But for the past few years now. There's been lots of controversy. You know between Brady. Between Belichick. They've, they've had some feuds. Some issues in the past. But Bob Kraft, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, also was involved in that feud. So there was a big uh, group of three: uh, misconfusion and and uh, anger and lots of disappointment. I guess you can say, with all three of these people involved, Brady, Belichick, and Bob Kraft. So overall, Brady, personally in my opinion, I thought he got the worst of it, as you know, which led to the reason of him leaving New England and going to Tampa Bay. So, why did he leave? Again, didn't feel appreciated by Belichick. He didn't feel respected by Belichick, by Kraft, by the ownership. This is, you know, Tom Brady, as I mentioned, he's done a lot for this Patriots organization. He turned this again, a six-round pick, turned his Patriots team into a contender, a winning and legendary team because of Tom Brady. And again, don't get me wrong, Belichick's done his part. Kraft has done his part. They've all done their part. But Brady didn't feel appreciated enough. And Brady felt like that Belichick... We're starting to feud with him. Belichick didn't respect him enough. Belichick didn't really appreciate him enough. Belichick, you know, thought he had most of the credit, maybe. And Bob Kraft, you know, tried to calm everything down. That didn't work out either. So Kraft, at the last minute, with all this tension happening for the past few years now, tried a last-minute, 11th-minute, 11-hour deal uh, to keep Brady in New England. But, of course, it didn't work. It fell through. Brady, of course, left New England. He went to his new team with the Buccaneers, signed that two-year, fifty-nine million dollar deal, and overall, Tom Brady—it's it, a fresh start because not only because he's from, because he was with this team for twenty years, but with his Tampa Bay team, and Brady now at the QB position for Tampa Bay, they can be a dangerous team. Because, you know, Tampa Bay has got offensive weapons like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and O.J. Howard and Cameron Brate and Ronald Jones. They have a solid defense and they have an experienced head coach in Bruce Arians over there as well. So Brady, I guess you can say, was the the piece they were missing. You know, Jameis Winston wasn't really a successful quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Drafted first overall back in 2015. Had lots of up and down years. Wasn't consistent had many touchdowns, but also many exceptions at the same time, so it it lowers that QB ratio. Um, But overall, you know, Jameis Winston wasn't just the right guy in Tampa Bay, and it showed that over the five years he was there, and that's why he left, he was cut, and Brady came in, he's now the new quarterback in Tampa Bay. But I mean, overall, Tom Brady, he's had to create lots of offensive weapons in his time in New England, and before you know, he left, and before the last, and you know, he had Edelman, sure. yeah Gronkowski. But before Tom Brady, who was Danny Amendola? Who was Chris Hogan? Who were these average guys who he turned into star receivers to lead the championship teams? And if you think about it, you know, maybe Brandon Cooks. But besides Brandon Cooks, the last top receiver that Tom Brady had was back was back in 2009 with Randy Moss. So with Brady able to not have lots of offensive weapons, the, the weapons and the targets he needs in order to be a successful quarterback and, and and have a stronger offense. He didn't have that, but he still made do with what he had leading to those championship teams, of course, over time. And Brady, now in this new system, has those weapons. Now, over 10 years, Tom Brady has been waiting for star receivers and star players and have a completely unique offensive system. And again, don't get me wrong. New England had a solid offense last year. It didn't show. The offense struggled last year overall, especially in the run game with Sony Michelle. But I mean, overall, you know, sure he had Gronk and he had Edelman. But if you think about it, if you take away Gronk and Edelman, he doesn't really have top players. He has to make guys like Amendola and Edelman. Uh, pardon me, and Hogan and even James White in the backfield as well. You know, relevant players because he's giving them the ball and he's and he's using them to create that offense. Tom Brady doesn't have to rely on that uh, sign anymore, that type of play anymore, because he has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are two of the best wide receivers in football, last year had 1,000-yard seasons, and those are guys, now with Brady at the helm, that that can turn those two players into top 15 receivers, top 15 wide receivers in the league. Don't be shocked at that at all, and again, you have... You know, Brady and the offense, and you have O.J. Howard and Cameron Braid. He's, he's getting O.J. Howard, who's who's from the Alabama Crimson Tide, which is probably the best college football program in history. Um, he gets a big tight end target, his first big tight end target since, since Gronk. And then Cameron Braid as a, as a second tight end is also a solid option. So And, and then you can work with Ronald Jones. You, you can kind of use him like a James White maybe. But overall, you still look at this, and Tom Brady's got lots of weapons to play with. Tom Brady, all of a sudden, he's in the driver's seat with the offense, and he's got lots of opportunities. But behind him, you know, back in New England, especially this past year, they, they had a very solid defense. Uh, the Bucs have a solid defense as well, especially with Nadaka uh re- reportedly coming back to Tampa Bay. He'll be leading that. Their secondary should be stronger. And overall, you have Bruce Arians as the head coach, experienced head coach. He's been around for a long time. And if you're Bruce Arians, you're, you're jumping for joy because you're working with you're, you're getting the opportunity to work with Tom Brady, who's the greatest quarterback of all time. And to be able to go through this transition, you know, this this is a whole new world. And really, if you're Tom Brady, you're excited. If you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers overall, you're excited, especially Bruce Arians. But I mean, this is a really interesting move for Tom Brady. And this move really shows that Brady, whether or not he can do it on his own, he's had a Bella chance. Brady and Belichick have worked together for 20 years. But now Brady's got a new system. He's got a new head coach. This is really a question whether Tom Brady can win on his own with Tampa Bay in these next two years. Again, all determines on that. And really, there, there's, there's optimism and there's hope for Tampa Bay. Overall, when Brady signed with the Buccaneers, their odds to win the Super Bowl went from 40-1 to to 22-1. So that went down 18 points right there. Imagine that. With one signing of a player like Tom Brady as your new quarterback, Tampa goes from a team that had 41 odds to being having odds of 22 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Last year, Tampa Bay was 7 and 9. You have Brady now at the helm, who of course is consistent and you know again arguably the greatest quarterback ever. Tampa Bay could be a 10, 11, maybe even a 12 uh, win season team this year. They can win 12 games this season. Don't be shocked if that happens. At least. I mean, again, Tampa, with his move with Tom Brady, it's an excellent move for them. And if you're the New Orleans Saints, you're you're especially scared because you have Brady, and Tampa's going to be legit. I really think that the Buccaneers are going to be a threat in the NFC South and just the NFC overall. And the NFC South is going to be really competitive when Brady and uh, Breeze, Drew Breeze, that is, have to face off twice in one season, one game at Tampa Bay, of course, one game, of course, in New Orleans. But overall... For Tampa Bay, I'm really, I'm, on, I'll be honest. I'm on the, ba- I'm on the wagon for Tampa Bay this year. I think Tampa Bay is going to be really solid, a really strong team. I think they're going to win it, the NFC South. I think they'll be the top team in the NFC South. And personally, I think they can make the Super Bowl. You know, Brady with a new offense, a new system. Get, you know, the Buccaneers getting the player and the quarterback they needed for that system to be the to be the top successful team that they could be. I mean, overall, this is this is just picture perfect for Tampa Bay. And if I'm not only the Saints, if I'm San Francisco, you know, watch out as well. Because, uh, again, if, if if it comes down to Jimmy G and Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game, and the winner goes to the Super Bowl, you know, that could be a really interesting game right there. But overall, you know, Brady's got the experience. He has the six rings, of course. Just a new system. Let's see what he can do. Garoppolo and the 49ers are, are arguably the best team in football, of course, you have Kansas City who just, who just won the Super Bowl. But San Fran still, of course, a contender for that Super Bowl title. I think it's Tampa Bay is going to be up there with them with this addition of Tom Brady. And again, I'm really pushing on the Buccaneers this year. They, they even host the Super Bowl this year. So I'm betting it, it all on Tampa Bay. I think they're going to win the NFC. I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl, be the first team in NFL history to host the Super Bowl in their own stadium, at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. And, and I think they're going to win. I really do. I think the Buccaneers are legit this year. And with Tom Brady now at the helm as the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers, Bruce Arians is the head coach. You have Evans and Godwin. He has weapons, Brady, with Howard and Brady as well. Ronald Jones will be better this year. You have that defense with Ndokum and Sue. And overall, look, Tampa Bay is just going to be an exciting team to watch out for. This is a team that's going to be... A real contender. And I really am pushing the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to the Super Bowl. And I really think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Because Tom Brady, even though it's a new system, a new coach, a new team, everything. He'll still be that same Tom Brady. And Brady still has been solid, you know, past his prime. He's been solid for the past eight years, five years, whatever it may be. Because, you know, he, he, he still has over... Thousands of passing yards. He's throwing more touchdowns than than interceptions by a mile. He's a consistent quarterback. Still is. His QBR ratio is excellent. And overall, he's just... He's able to still have average guys with New England turn them into decent offensive weapons. And now with Tampa Bay, he has those weapons. So imagine what Brady can do with the weapons for the first time in 10 years. But that's my take on the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're legit this year. And I really think they're going to be a scary team and possibly... you know, the Super Bowl champions, I think in my opinion, I'm I'm copying this year. Again, way far to predict anything with the Super Bowl. But if I were a betting man, and if Tom Brady's your quarterback, and he's still kicking at 43 years old, he'll be 43 when the season starts, you know, I would put all the chips in on Tom Brady. Because you live by the sword, you die by the sword, you live by Brady, you die by Brady. And Brady, no matter what, is is the clutchest and personally the greatest quarterback In NFL history, when you have six rings, when you get to nine Super Bowls, and now now you're with a new team, you're at 43, you're still producing, you're still productive, and you have a solid offensive team, that you are are the piece they were missing, you put that together, that's going to be scary. That's really going to be scary for us. So that that was really the big signing, in my opinion. And I, I would say a lot of people would think that, too, that Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers is a major move that that will lead, personally in my opinion, to major success for the Buccaneers. They're going to be a team to watch out for. So that's our first segment. Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the biggest free agent move in the offseason. Welcome to Carboni's Corner again. I'm your host, play-by-play announcer, Alice Carbonati. And we are getting set on Carboni's Corner. Next up, we'll talk about the Houston Texans with Keith Irizarry of CBS Sports. And, you know, the Texans have had lots of questionable moves with DeAndre Hopkins and Brandon Cooks, and why is Bill O'Brien doing these things? We'll talk with all that with Keith Irizarry next up on Carbonite's Corner on Anchor from Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to Carbonized Corner on Anchor from Spotify. So, you know, last segment we talked about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how they're going to be impactful this year, I think, in my opinion, how they're going to be one of the top teams in football. Now we'll switch over to a different segment about the Houston Texans. And overall, they've, lo- they've made lots of questionable moves, you know, trading DeAndre Hopkins and getting Brandon Cooks in return, taking on David Johnson's contract. Lots of questions have been asked. We're going to have Keith Irizarry of CBS Sports Network join us now to talk about it over the phone, and he joins me right now. Keith, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. You got it. Thank you for
0: coming on. So first off, before we talk about the Texans, let's talk about what's going on with COVID-19. How are you holding up, first of all, during the pandemic?
1: I mean, so far, so good. Uh, Luckily, my family, um, we're all safe. We're all healthy. We've uh, been very intelligent about this and, and, you know, basically self-quarantined ourselves, and um, I've turned myself into a, a third grade and a kindergarten teacher every morning for my for my sons, and we're doing a lot of shooting hoops and playing soccer and trying to stay as active as possible. How is everybody in your, your neck of the woods? Good.
0: You know, we're all doing well. We're holding on there, you know, doing this podcast that I'm doing, just staying active, like you mentioned, with your family and just, just trying to make the best we can out of all of it during this tough time. Love it. So, overall, we talked about Houston. You know, they, they traded their top receiver away, DeAndre Hopkins. He's going to Arizona. They got David Johnson, who's been injury-prone the past few years. They got a third-round pick also in return for DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, lots of questions have been raised because DeAndre Hopkins is one of the top receivers, a top-five receiver in the NFL. So, And he worked well with Deshaun Watson. So, Keith, overall, why do you think the Texans made this move, first off? So I think there's layers to this, and I think you have to decide who you want to
1: believe. Right. Do you believe Bill O'Brien that DeAndre Hopkins was requesting more money and it wasn't going to work? Do you believe that DeAndre Hopkins may be wanted out? Mm -hmm. Do you believe that it was just time for the Texans to move on from DeAndre Hopkins? So that's the problem, is that we are sitting here in the month of April— and we don't really have an answer. Uh, From the people I've spoken to, it appears that DeAndre Hopkins, while was uh, a favorite of teammates, wasn't necessarily a favorite of all of the coaches. And at some point, Things happen, and thing, and players get moved on, and especially if you're the coach and the GM, right. and you're making the decisions, you kind of have all the say. So there you go. So so if we're parsing between everything and reading between the lines, that appears to be the closest to what probably happened.
0: So I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's been rumors about Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins not getting along for personal reasons or what have you. So you mentioned Bill O'Brien not not, not only is the head coach of the Texans, he's the general manager as well. So what does it mean in the future? for teams, if they have a top player like DeAndre Hopkins, but because he gets traded away and the coach doesn't like him, could that be a precedent in the NFL from now on?
1: I mean, I think it kind of already has been, hasn't it? Like, if we look up and down the line, some of the great players that have either been traded away or or not re-signed, it, it happens consistently. Right. Unfortunately, because I'm more of I tend to lean on to the player side of things like uh, I know I know a lot of people get mad at players when they hold out I have consistently said listen you will if you're not gonna give me my guaranteed money at some point I have to figure out how to get it because it's, there's a shelf life especially for NFL players right. right so get your money and don't worry about that. Um, I, but ultimately, this is how the NFL has always been. Mm-hmm. When management decides they're going to move on from you, they move on. Th- think about the New England Patriots, right? And, right. And not Tom Brady. Forget about that part because that's so recent right now. Right. How many, whether it's Pro Bowl players or borderline Pro Bowl players, have they just decided to ship away for barely anything or let go? It happens a lot. That's how good organizations,
0: unfortunately, business-wise, or run. doesn't always work for the player. I mean, yeah, that's that's a definite main fact. And I've been watching ESPN and you know, first take on ESPN, skipping Shannon on Pop Sports, all around. A major issue has been that, you know, Hopkins, of course, he wants the money, he deserves the money, all of that. But there's been an argument that if 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 the Texans did that to save money and save cap space, why did they take on that David Johnson contract then? That's been a major question overall. So, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so so that's obviously hogwash. I mean, that's why the whole money thing, like, we need to, again, if we're going to read between lines and, and do all the layers of everything, you have to throw that aside because they took on money from David Johnson. They then brought in Brandon Cooks, and they're paying him lots of money as right. well. To, and, and now they just brought in Randall Cobb, too, and they're paying him a substantial amount of money also. So they brought in three offensive pieces. Mm-hmm. And, and took on a lot of money for all of them to get rid of DeAndre Hopkins. So I think the money is not the thing there. It's about the fit of Hopkins, and I think they just wanted to move on.
0: Okay, so I mean, that that definitely sums it up from what people are saying overall. And you mentioned Bill O'Brien, of course, the GM, the head coach. He's received lots of slack and lots of criticism for it. And in your opinion, is he deserving of this criticism, Bill O'Brien? So Yes, he
1: is. Because anytime you deal away one of the faces of your franchise, and while DeAndre Hopkins, you know, I say face, and obviously it's it, it's really that franchise is more about who? Deshaun Watson, right? Like mm-hmm. he's the guy or, or like a JJ Watt, right? Right. Um, but DeAndre Hopkins is one of the two, three, four best wide receivers in the NFL, depending on where you want to place him uh, in, that, in that hierarchy. So you're always going to... Get the, the the fallback for it. But with that being said, Brandon Cooks, while he can't stay healthy as of late, and it's always been traded a bunch, he is a thousand-yard receiver mm-hmm. most of the time. If Will Fuller can stay healthy, he has thousand-yard receiver capabilities. Right. And Randall Cobb is the perfect gadget-wide receiver to mix things up with Deshaun Watson and if David Johnson could be the David Johnson of two or three years ago, you're getting one of the five best running backs in the NFL. Right. But here's the problem. Everything I just said there had an F in there. Right. So it's a lot of question marks. And there was no question mark about DeAndre Hopkins. He was able to put 1,000 yards every season with some of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, until Deshaun Watson got there.
0: Sure, I mean, definitely, that's that's an excellent point, you know. And if you take away Hopkins, Hopkins overall, really, he's like Cooks and and uh, Cobb and all those players combined. He's kind of like a one man offensive system as that star wide receiver and Watson throwing him the balls to quarterback. Overall. You know, Brandon Cooks, you mentioned that they trade for him. Is Brandon Cooks due for a major season, a DeAndre Hopkins X season, to lead that offensive team again and put up the same numbers that Hopkins did while he was in Houston?
1: I mean, I'm afraid of concussions, right? And Brandon Cooks has had a bunch of them. Brandon right. Cooks has had a lot of injuries. And Brandon Cooks can't seem to, to latch on with any organization. Right. So so once so the... The, the trending factor there, we don't know. Uh, is there an underlying thing there? We don't know. Could Brandon Cooks have a good year if he stays healthy again? If. If Brandon Cooks plays 14 games, I don't see why he can't get 1,100 receiving yards and eight touchdowns sure. or seven touchdowns. And if David Johnson was healthy, can he run for 900 yards and catch for five hundred or 400 yards? Yeah. Sure. If Randall Cobb is healthy, can he get you 700 receiving yards? Sure. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of ifs. Yeah,
0: definitely indeed. And the Texans, they've had lots of injuries over the years. But overall, I, I want to segue to the Sean Watson. And of course, the the starting quarterback, the the, the main driver of the offense, like, like every quarterback is in every offensive system. How do you think he's handling this entire situation?
1: I mean, outwardly, he seems to be handling it pretty well. Um you know, behind closed doors, I would imagine he's upset. Mm -hmm. You lose... I mean, that would be like Drew Brees losing Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, right. That would be like uh, Matt Ryan losing Julio Julio Jones. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, if you... If I tell you, Alex, I'm going to take away your number one offensive option, the guy that you can just throw the ball up to and you know he's going to make a play for you. Mm. Sure, you're upset. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. If I was him, I'd be upset. Of course I would be. Unless unless there's something behind the scenes that we don't know. But as as far as I know... Those two got along very well. I've never heard of any bickering, uh-huh. and I would imagine he's upset about it.
0: I mean, yeah, definitely. That that that's also a big question. You know, you, you mentioned the the inside ability we don't know about the outside stuff as well. It it all plays a factor. But the Texans overall, they just and they're in the AFC. Obviously, you just had Kansas City who, who just won the Super Bowl. You have the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson. They're a contender, of course. Tennessee in their own division is rising up, and. and I think the Titans can win win that division this year. But overall, does this impact the favoritism and the ability of the Houston Texans to be a solid team and a contender in the the AFC?
1: If we answer all the ifs with yes, those things will happen, then the Texans will be fine. Right. If all of those players are healthy, then the Texans will be fine. They are still in the range of 7 to 10 wins. Sure. The way I always break down seasons is when I come in, I look at a team. And I go, all right, you're a team that's going to be six wins or less, and I don't need to worry about you right now, okay? Then there's the seven to ten win teams, the ones that if the ball breaks the right way, bounces the right way, you get your ten wins, you get into a wild card spot, or maybe win your division, boom, or the ball breaks the wrong way, bounces the wrong way. You get your seven wins. Then you have your teams where you go, hmm, they should win 10, 11, 12, 13 games. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, my goodness, something went wrong. Right. I think the Texans fall into that middle ground. If okay. they won seven, I wouldn't be shocked. If they won 10, I wouldn't be shocked.
0: Okay. So, I mean, overall, and again, these are big moves. We we, we, we talked a lot about DeAndre Hopkins leaving. And Bill O'Brien, let's say uh, the the Texans do really suffer from these moves. Would you be shocked if he gets fired as the head coach and the GM?
1: Listen, if they win five games this year, he's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. But if they have eight wins and they are in the, the playoff contention, like in the playoff race with two weeks left in the season, and they get eight victories, I don't think he gets fired. No, I don't.
0: So, you know... This sets a big example, of course, once again in the NFL. Uh, if any of these moves that were made with this Houston Texans team, what kind of an impact does it make once again? And can these these actions overall, how do they really hurt a team?
1: I mean, there is something to be said about chemistry, right? Right. I know that, you know, everyone says, "Oh, it's a 53-man roster," and you know, not everyone needs to be best friends. But typically, who are the people that need to be the happiest on a team? Right. Who's the number one person you think that needs to be happy on a team? QB. You had to guess the quarterback. Exactly. So
0: again, if Brandon Cooks and Deshaun Watson
1: build a great chemistry, all's fine. The Houston Texans are fine. No need to worry. But if they don't have the chemistry that Hopkins and, and, and Watson had, now you've got to start thinking about things. Also, you know, the play calling situation. And, and the other thing that I think <clears throat> that people haven't discussed enough is that while Brandon Cooks is talented, Randall Cobb is talented, you've got talented players in David Johnson, you've got other talented players around the team, Will Fuller, throw him in there as well. Every player is a <clears throat> go deep guy, right. right? Speed guy. Who's going over the middle? And that's one of the things DeAndre Hopkins was able to do. Mm -hmm. While he had speed and the agility, he also was willing to go over the middle and and be a possession guy, too. He, He reminded me, or reminds me, a lot of a Terrell Owens type of wide receiver. Big, kind of muscular dude that is freakishly athletic and willing to do about everything.
0: I mean, yeah, and you've been stressing it a lot. There's many ifs on this Houston Texans team. If Brandon Cook stays healthy, if Randall Cobb can still be productive, if David Johnson can also be productive as well, and if Deshaun Watts can handle this all at the same time. So the Houston Texans, they're they're a real basket case entering this season overall. Keith, thanks so much again for joining us. That's Keith Irizarry of CBS Sports Network, a co-host on that other pregame show during the NFL season. Keith, again, thank you very much. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon. You too. Thanks a lot, Alice. You guys, so that's Keith Rosari. Once again, I'm Alice Carbonai. And next up, we'll be talking about more free agent signings, which are imp- which ones were impactful, which ones can make or break for the respective teams. All on Carbonized Corner on Anchor from Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to Carbonized Corner on Anchor from Spotify. Just had a great talk with Keith Irizarry of CBS Sports Network about the Houston Texans. You know, lots of questions around there. Lots of debatable moves made by Bill O'Brien as the GM. Who knows what can happen in Houston overall? You know, whether he can be let go, whether he takes some uh, slack for it. And let's see how the Texans respond to it this upcoming season, whether they stay atop a contender in the AFC So either way, thanks Keith again for that We'll segue to our next segment now You know, we talked about Tom Brady earlier and many other big Free agent signings, but here are some other Important signings that have taken place And overall, these signings Make a major impact For the respective teams Joining us now over the phone will be Zach Mott We'll be talking about which ones are the most Important ones to the respective teams Zach joins me now, Zach, how are you my friend? I'm great. Excellent, excellent. So overall, let's get started with these uh, the, these free agents. We'll start with Phillip Rivers to so the Colts. You know, one-year deal, $25 million. Interesting quarterback scenario there in, in, in Indy right now. You know, you have Phillip Rivers at 38 years old getting that one-year contract. But you have Jacoby percent there as well. You know, this there could be a battle right there. Percet could be a little thrown off by that. What's your take with Phillip Rivers going to Indy? Well,
2: For Phillip, he had one of his worst career seasons last year. Um, He's a veteran guy just looking for a place that he could possibly compete for a playoff spot. You know, he goes to Indy now with Marlon Mack at running back, T.Y. Hilton, a big threat at wide receiver, and always the possibility of Indianapolis adding some other weapons for Phillip Rivers. But I I feel like he just needed a change of environment. You know, he had been with L.A. for so long and looked like they were going to move on from him. They eventually did. He signs a one-year deal, and, you know, the Colts just look like they're going to try and aim for the playoffs this year for sure. Right, definitely. What
0: does it mean for Jacoby Brissett, though? What kind of a mental toll can it play on him?
2: You know, I I think Rivers can, can kind of, you know, mentor Jacoby Brissett a little bit. You know, we've seen Brissett. So far, for for two full seasons now, um, and you know he he hasn't looked phenomenal. He hasn't really led the Colts to a winning season right. in either of those seasons. You know, twenty seventeen they went four and eleven. He played fifteen games, and now just last season played another fifteen games. They went seven and eight. So he does not have a winning record with the Colts, and I think that kind of you know affects the upper brass in that they they want to see a winning season with the core they had. You know, just remember. In 2018, Andrew Luck led this Colts playoff spot. So, you know, I believe the Colts think they're just a quarterback away, and adding a veteran guy in like Phillip Rivers will definitely help with that.
0: Right. That's that's the Colts situation. This could be a make or break year for them. Let's segue into Darius Slay. You know, he was one of the top defensive players with the Lions for the past few years. He gets traded over to Philadelphia. Then he signs a three-year, fifty-point-five million-dollar contract with the Eagles. What are the Eagles getting in a player like Darius Sly?
2: Well, Alex, they're getting a guy that's a lockdown corner that's been able to win battles against you know guys like Allen Robinson and Devontae Adams and Adam Thielen in their division, and they're getting a guy who's only 28 at this point. He's right. a lockdown corner who can play very, very well. Something the Eagles really needed after their secondary struggled last season, and I think, you know, Darius Slay signed a great contract with them. Not too expensive, but not too cheap either, kind of in the middle, but, you know, Slay is an excellent player. He's a guy that's going to help that evil secondary tremendously, and I think he's going to come make a veteran impact immediately in that locker room. I mean, he definitely
0: can indeed, and, you know, they lost Ronald Darby to Washington. That's a major upgrade. Again, you mentioned Darius Slay being a very productive cornerback in the NFL, one of the most maybe underrated cornerbacks as well, you know, and then he gets that three-year deal with the Eagles, that $50 million, it could pay off and it could help the Eagles later down the road defensively, which has been a big struggle for them, Zach, the past few seasons.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So we talked about Slade. We talked about Rivers. Next up, Emmanuel Sanders, who was part of that 49ers team that lost to the Super Bowl. He leaves San Fran. He goes to New Orleans. He goes from Jimmy G to Drew Brees. Uh, Sanders signs a two-year deal, $16 million overall for Emmanuel Sanders. He's won a Super Bowl. He's lost a Super Bowl. What point is Emmanuel Sanders now at his career, Zach, that he signs with, with New Orleans? Well, Sanders is coming into this season at 33
2: years of age. You know he's coming into some of his final seasons at this point, and you know signing this contract with the Saints, it just looks like he's going after a Super Bowl at right. this point. You know the Saints really needed an upgrade at wide receiver two, and they get a huge upgrade in Emmanuel Sanders. You know Ted Ginn Jr. has been their wide receiver two over the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Obviously, didn't work out too well, but they're getting a guy. And Sanders, who last season put up 869 receiving yards, he played it in the Super Bowl with the Niners, and I think this is also a major loss for the Niners right. as well, because they're losing one of their greater wide receivers, but at the same time, you know, this is a huge upgrade for Emmanuel Sanders and a great chance at a Super Bowl ring.
0: I mean, again, definitely he's been productive his entire career. What what could that mean for Michael Thomas, though? You know, Michael Thomas, the, the, the number one receiver in New Orleans. Sanders now the number two. They get that much-needed fit right there. What does it mean for Michael Thomas heading down the road?
2: Well, you know, I think Michael Thomas will end up losing a few targets, but it won't be major. You know, when you look at Thomas, he's a guy that led the NFL in receptions last season had just had an incredible year Mm -hmm. as, you know, the Saints themselves had an incredible year, uh, obviously lost in the playoffs. But, you know, for Michael Thomas, almost 150 receptions, 1,725 yards and nine touchdowns. Thomas has been incredible for the Saints. I definitely think Sanders is going to cut into his receptions a little bit. He'll be on the outside opposite Thomas, and that will definitely play an impact role um on thomas's you know targets but at the same time you know i think the saints really needed a legitimate wide receiver too like a guy like emmanuel sanders so i think for the team it'll help overall
0: yeah definitely and i mean and not you know sanders was a big offensive piece that went to a new team melvin gordon you know back and forth so far in his career especially the past few years solid one year got hurt the other he leaves the Chargers. he goes to denver and this one is a really questionable move because you have Philip Lindsay there, who was, you know, who's been solid with Denver as their number one running back. Uh, why do you think the Broncos added Melvin Gordon to the mix? You
2: know, Alex, when this deal was first noticed, I was really questioning it, right? Because the Broncos have both Philip Lindsay and Roy Freeman. They made a nice one-two punch. Right. Uh, Lindsay was coming off a wrist injury the previous year; didn't look too great wasn't as great as his rookie year um last season but you know the one-two punch with a guy like lindsey who's you know a great runner a guy who could pass catch and then a guy like royce freeman who's a bit of red zone threat i thought that was a great one-two punch however the broncos end up going after a guy who's been in the division his entire career melvin gordon who you know was a very good player in 2018, was selected to a Pro Bowl, had an excellent year. And, you know, he was coming off a down year last season, um, a year in which, in which he kind of got injured and had, you know, issues earlier in, you know, training camp with, you know, contract issues yeah. and wanting an extension. Obviously, he didn't get that contract. He ends up signing a reasonable deal with the Broncos. So, you know, I think this is a great deal for the Denver Broncos. It gives them a guy like Melvin Gordon... Who's been very solid for the Chargers throughout his career, and it also gives them uh, Philip Lindsay, who can pass catch out of the backfield. But the question now is, what are they going to do with Royce Freeman? Could right. they trade him? We'll have to see what will happen there. Right,
0: definitely that deal is two years, sixteen million dollars from Elvin Gordon. You mentioned that the possibility of Royce Freeman getting out of there, and uh, uh, Freeman and Lindsay, they work so well together. Could could that throw off the chemistry they've had the past, in this past season? You know, it just really depends on how the Broncos utilize Royce Freeman. We've seen the San Francisco 49ers just this
2: past season. He's a three-headed monster at running back. Could the Broncos do the same? Right. I don't know. However, yeah, it kind of could throw up their chemistry because it all depends on their usage. Do the Broncos view Melvin Gordon as a running back one? Do they view him as a two? Do they view him as a 1A, 1B option with Philip Lindsay with Royce Freeman then taking... Some of the red zone runs away from those two guys. I don't know how the Broncos view them as of right now, but do I think they can all work effectively with each other? Yes, yes, I do. Again, it just depends on the system and the usage of all three running backs.
0: I mean, and again, you know, Gordon, one of those top productive running backs two seasons ago, contract issues, some injury issues as well. It's going to be a big comeback year, I guess you could say, for Melvin Gordon and during the next season. Overall, let's wish to Joe Schaubert. He went to Jacksonville, signed a five-year, $53.75 million contract, received $12 million when he signed the contract. He's guaranteed $22 million. Overall, look, Joe Schaubert, he's one of the most underrated linebackers in football. He could have gone to a contender, but he ends up signing with Jacksonville. Do you think he went for the money overall, Zach, or are there other factors that made a opinion in why he signed with Jacksonville?
2: Well, Alex, when I look at Joe Schobert throughout his career, 100 tackles every season since 2017 was also selected to the Pro Bowl in 2017. And like you said, you know, one of the more underrated linebackers in the league. And, you know, I don't know if Schobert necessarily went for the money, but he also went to a team that had had a good defense throughout the past few years, you know, struggled a little bit more recently, but still had some pieces in place. Even going into the offseason, you know, and I feel like Schaubert just wants a place where he can fit in.
0: I feel like Jacksonville's defense is a good fit for him. However, maybe the team isn't the greatest fit for him. Right? Yeah. I mean, that can definitely play a role overall. Let's switch now to the Carolina Panthers. They made pretty big moves. You know, signing Teddy Bridgewater three-year deal, sixty-three million. They're giving him was Drew Brees' backup was five and zero when Drew Brees was hurt last year. They also add Robbie Anderson, the top wide receiver from the Jets, two years, twenty million dollars. How does that work out for Carolina? You know, they get Teddy Bridgewater, they pay him the money, Robbie Anderson becoming possibly his number one receiver, and now you have Christian McCaffrey who also just got paid. So you see those three players together. How is Carolina going to approach the season with all that money being paid to to those three players?
2: Well, I think it's going to be a bit of a different approach from the Carolina Panthers that we haven't seen in recent years. It looks like just from this offseason, the Carolina Panthers have focused a lot more on offense than mm-hmm. they have on defense. Right. Since 2011, Ron Rivera, a defensive-minded coach, has been their head coach. He was just recently fired uh, during the season. This past season, they bring in Matt Rule. Uh, he's more of an offensive-minded coach, bring in a great offensive mind from LSU and Joe Brady. And they kind of go offense first in this uh off season, you know like you said signing teddy bridgewater who had been relatively good with the minnesota vikings before his uh, unfortunate leg injury right. um you know he's on a comeback right now he looks phenomenal as bridge uh, as a uh, breeze's backup last year and you know also adding in robbie anderson as a huge threat he's a huge deep threat a guy who could also play on the outside opposite a phenomenal dj moore who was just great last season then add in and a guy like Curtis Samuel and add Christian McCaffrey to that mix, and you never know they could add a tight end and a uh, tight end, excuse me, in there too. You know they could be an excellent offensive team this season, but you know their defense just really needs to improve. They need to improve on it through the draft. And
0: we'll see what happens. I mean, a big factor out of all of this was, was the release of Cam Newton. You know, Cam Newton was a major back in Carolina. He was, no, he was selected back in 2011, number one overall. He got that team to a Super Bowl. He won the MVP back in 2015. You know, it, it has not been the same Cam Newton for the past three or four seasons. Lots of injuries. He hasn't been consistent. Overall, what do you think made the reason of why they went with Bridgewater, who had a you know solid year as, as the backup in New Orleans? They pay him this money, and then they dump down Cam Newton.
2: Well, Alex, I think the reason would be that Joe Brady's offensive system kind of requires a more pocket passer type quarterback. That's more of what Teddy Bridgewater is. He has an arm where he could just stand back there, throw 20, 30-yard passes with ease, And that's more what fits Joe Brady's system. Cam Newton just wasn't a fit in this new system. And that is more or less why the Panthers chose to go in that direction instead of stick with Cam
0: Newton. I mean, overall, again, there's going to be plenty of questions of where he goes as well. But out of of all these signings that we talked about, and you can mention some more as well, out of all the signings, I guess you could say, in the NFL free agency period this season, which one is the most beneficial? Which one is the most important? Which one stands out to you really out, out of all the signings we mentioned or one that we didn't mention?
2: Well, Alex, I think the most important signing this past offseason was from a team that went deep in the playoffs that was not expected to go deep in the playoffs and really added back a player that was very impactful for them last season. That's the Titans and Ryan Tannehill. Okay. Now, Tannehill is being paid as the seventh-highest quarterback in the league, he received a four-year, $118 million contract, giving him $29.5 million per season. He just had a phenomenal year last year. Came in, started 10 games, went 7-3 and three as a starter last season, and he was an absolutely huge reason why the Titans ended up making the playoffs. He finished with 2,742 yards, 22 touchdowns and six interceptions, the highest completion percentage of his, of his career and the highest passer rating of his career. And really, he keeps the Titans a legitimate contender for the AFC South title. I mean, again,
0: that's that's an excellent point. And Tanner Hill, he flew off the charts. He had Derrick Henry there as well with him. Overall, I mean, you take Ryan Tanner Hill. I'm going to say Emmanuel Sanders because with Emmanuel Sanders, you mentioned earlier, he's chasing for another Super Bowl ring This is important. He's in he's in a heavy pass offense with Drew Brees. You got Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn, some other weapons there as well. So, I'll take Emmanuel Sanders because this is a really make or break year, make or break two years coming up for Emmanuel Sanders with this signing with the New Orleans Saints. Whether, again, he can still be a major playmaker at the age of 33, you know, he's aging up a bit. At the same time, he's going for that ring. So, again, Emmanuel Sanders, and whether or not he can still be competing for that role as a top receiver or a top. Uh, second receiver on a respective team. But I want, to, I want to take a second player as well. I mentioned Teddy Bridgewater, and Bridgewater as well. He showed off his worth, 5-0 and when Drew Brees was hurt last year. And he signs this deal with Carolina. Carolina moving on from Cam Newton, they go to Teddy Bridgewater. And this can determine whether Teddy Bridgewater can lead an offense again on his own. You know, again, he was a back of New Orleans, as I mentioned. Minnesota when he when he was there before he got hurt, he was solid. But he has not been the same quarterback ever since. This this is the first time, I guess, since Minnesota, you know, that, that Teddy Bridgewater is a QB1 on a team. So really is Teddy Bridgewater how he's gonna work with the new system, with McCaffrey, with Robbie Anderson, and the new entire coaching staff in Carolina, whether he can make an impression. And what he can do once again as the starting quarterback of a of a uh, Carolina or any NFL franchise. Zach. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, you know, for Teddy Bridgewater, I think you know this three year contract gives him a new opportunity, and I definitely think the system they're putting him in right now is a system in which he can succeed. They're surrounding Bridgewater with excellent weapons. You know, giving him McCaffrey, like you said, giving him Anderson, Morris, Samuel, the possibility of adding in, you know, either a veteran tight end. They already added in Seth Uh Bell through a free agency, but maybe another veteran tight end or also adding in a tight end through the draft. You know, there's endless opportunities for Teddy Bridgewater to succeed in this system. To be honest with you, I think he is going to succeed in this system. I think we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater really do well in his three years in Carolina.
0: So, again, we'll see what Teddy Bridgewater does. We'll see what all these free agents do with their either new respective teams or, in in Tannehill's case, with his same team in Tennessee. Overall, it's going to be interesting in 2020 how all this plays out. And we talked about Tom Brady earlier, You know how big that's going to be as well. But for all the free agents – that have chosen a new destination for all the players that have been traded to a new team. Overall, how they're going to approach this new year, whether it can be a a redemption season, a comeback season, or a season to prove that they're still legit, they're still a top player in this league, and that they can do it as well at the level they have been at with their other teams in past years. So, Zach Mott, thanks for joining us. That's Zach Mott again, color analyst with Massey people High School. I should have mentioned that earlier. But also, he is the host of the Zach Mott Show on Anchor from Spotify. Zach, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in a little while. Thank you, Alex. All right, you got it. So that's Zach Mott. And our next segment coming up when we come back from break. Did the 49ers' loss in the Super Bowl possibly be a life-saving moment? We'll talk about that next up on Carbonized Corner on Anchor from Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to Carbonized Corner on Anchor from Spotify. You know our last segment with with the whole bunch of free agents, where they're going, what the next move moves are for those respective players. Interesting overall how it's gonna play out for them next season. Now let's forward over to another segment and a really interesting story that I found a few days ago, and a real conspiracy theory, I guess you could say as well, and on how the 49ers Super Bowl loss might have prevented a coronavirus disaster in San Francisco. I'll say that one more time: a 49ers Super Bowl loss. That might have prevented a coronavirus disaster in San Francisco. You know, of course, COVID-19 has been a major outbreak all across the country and the world. But San Fran has been hit hard. They've been in a state of emergency as of late. And San Fran's having a tough time through it as well. But so are the 49ers, of course, after this past NFL season, after losing in the Super Bowl. They were up by 10 in the fourth quarter. They blew that lead to Magic, Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs. And the rest is history, of course, with that. But, you know, let's say the 49ers held on to that lead. They won that game. Of course, there would have been been a parade. There would have been thousands of fans that would have been at that parade celebrating that sixth Super Bowl championship. Let's say the 49ers won the game overall. And, you know, of course, according to CDC, as of late, gatherings of 50 people or more have been banned. So back in February, when it wasn't as serious, the virus could have been spread uh, unintentionally, unawaringly, and it could have uh, been a major issue for San Francisco more than it is already uh, with this COVID-19 outbreak. So overall, this, is, this article is about how this loss might be painful sports-wise, but it's beneficial health-wise, and how this loss in the Super Bowl saved lives for many San Francisco 49ers fans and the organization overall. According to Bob Watcher, who is the chair uh, of the University of California San Francisco's Department of Medicine, He said to the Wall Street Journal that it may go down in the annals as being a brutal sports loss, but one that may have saved lives, according to Dr. Bob Watcher. Of course, coronavirus has made a major impact on the way we live today, but especially in sports, how sports have been shut down, but also how also before coronavirus became a major issue, how losses can actually be beneficial later on down the road. So joining me now, over the phone, psychologist and New York OCD doctor, doc, Dr. Robert Lancer. Doctor, how are you?
4: Doing good, Alex. How are you?
0: Good, excellent. First of all, before we talk about the 49ers and this story, how are you holding up during the coronavirus pandemic?
4: I think it's a good time for everyone to pause and reevaluate their habits, their lives, uh, see well, the positive that we can make out of it. Obviously, it's very difficult for people to be separated from their loved ones, especially with the holidays. Um, still in the, we're in the middle of the holidays uh, with the Greek Easter coming up and Easter is pasted and Passover. So I think it's difficult, but sometimes when people are alone have time to think, they can spin it in a very positive way.
0: Well, I mean, again, overall, it it sounds like you're doing well. Everyone seems to be doing well, but of course you have issues, of course, during this COVID-19 outbreak. But going back to the story, um, if you're the 49ers, if you're a player for the 49ers, if, if you're Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, if you're an executive, GM, what have you, and if you're a 49ers fan, how do you approach this story?
4: So someone who specializes in anxiety disorder, specifically uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, one of the interesting ways that I explain things uh, for, for people who suffer is the difference between the possibility versus the probability. And the possibility versus probability is based on the idea that people really don't, some people with OCD think and they worry about the possibilities, the little percentages in life that a slight change could make a huge impact on our lives. And and usually it's in a negative way. Uh, I think with this, we're looking at a possibility and it's a call back to humanity for people to realize that while professional sports and myself an avid Giant fan, uh, the importance of sports, it's also a call back to humanity in general and looking at putting human beings before sports uh, in a giant context. Uh, so there are a lot of tragedies and lives of people unfortunately dying um, from this terrible, terrible outbreak. However, it is a call back to humanity and I think that that might be the overriding theme in this story. Not to focus necessarily on a win or a loss, but to focus on a win, possibly for humanity, over, um, over professional
0: sports. As a doctor, you focus on mental health. You know, you're 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 an OCD doctor. How do you personally react to this story from a mental standpoint?
4: Well, as the the, the narrative that's been pushed, and I believe it's true, is that overall, we we need to look at the people who are most at risk. And that should always be the focus in everyone's lives. The people most at risk, the elderly who are so needed and important to us for wisdom, and also people who are suffering other illnesses. So basically, it reinforces the need for social distancing. While it is not preferable, it's not pleasurable. Um, it gives some people, or it gives us, a, an overriding sense of certainty and the importance of the social distancing and that it actually will play an intricate part overall. Um, But I also need to kind of explain that people should look at this as a time to come together and see how everybody as individuals can collaboratively work together. um, And not just for COVID, but for any type of tragedy and work together to create a better world, a safer world, a healthier world and really look and and be introspective into their lives and see how social distancing is just one of the tools we could use, but overall mental hygiene, physical hygiene, and mental health uh, is of the utmost importance. And I think that people who might not have experienced anxiety and depression uh, before this may hopefully become more aware of the need for people to understand, and for there to be greater outreach for those who suffer from anxiety and depression on an everyday basis.
0: Right, definitely. And, you know, going back to, to the sports fan uh, analogy of, of it, you know, could this possibly be seen for a way of fans to cope with a tough Super Bowl loss, you know, when your favorite team gets all the way there, but they lose the big game? Can this be a new way, possibly, of, of coping with Super Bowl losses of one's favorite team?
4: Well, I, you know, you, we really don't see the work. I, I do mental toughness work with professional athletes as well. We don't see the work that goes into that, um, those 60 minutes of football on the field. For the professionals, they put in a lifetime just to get to that level. We're talking about 0.01% of the population, if not less, who make it there. So we don't want to underscore their uh, achievement. Their achievements are great in in size, and they need to be accoladed. But I also think that there needs to be a sense of, like I said, humanity. So while it is difficult watching a team win or lose, uh, it does add some meaning that, you know, as a community, San Francisco has a reason to understand that while it was a loss, while people, all of the hard work they could see as a winner or a loss – there's always different ways to look at it. Uh, just getting to the Super Bowl is a huge achievement. Um, it is a way for them to understand that there is greater things at stake than just a, a winner, or a loss or a trophy, or the Vince Lombardi trophy. Hopefully, I guess you could say God willing, we'll get back to a, a point where football can be enjoyable and sports can be an enjoyable outlet for people. Uh, to experience again.
0: So, I mean, overall, again, we talked about, of course, the mental standpoint of it, the 49ers standpoint from it. Uh, for just for, for any NFL team, you know, that loses the Super Bowl, does this conspiracy theory give a team momentum possibly from now on heading into a new season, trying to get back to the top game?
3: Well, I think that they, in general, want to
4: get back to their professional. Um, and they'll be much more grateful. Possibly they could, they could have a new outlook and be able to digest the loss on a different uh, level or on a different level of consciousness. And they could see that while they got there, there, there are other people who were who are behind them and support them and the support is still there. And hopefully the community will make everyone more aware that this is greater at stake than just, just a trophy. And that, you know, I teach that people should be grateful for the process, not just for the outcome. So, a lot of we, we overlook that the whole experience of being at a Super Bowl or being able to be accoladed by, by people and looked up to, that in itself is a, is a great achievement. And that's a great uh, thing to experience for, for oneself, just to understand that the process of getting there. So, maybe the outcome isn't as important as we think, and, and the process of getting there is is being reevaluated and they can look at it on a different level and appreciate it.
0: Sure, definitely. And overall, you know, for these Super Bowl losing teams, what could it mean for the future of Super Bowl losing teams? Let's say something like this, God forbid, happens again.
4: Well, um, there's always the the Monday Monday night quarterbacks who look back and are very critical. Uh, I remember uh, not too many... Super Bowls ago, there was a pass on the one-yard line that was uh, intercepted and they, you know, heavily scrutinized why don't they run the ball. Mm -hmm. So from a fan standpoint, it looks at it as like we really don't know what's always going on. Uh, I don't know if we can even get in the heads of of the people who are are playing the game. Uh, The conspiracy theories are always interesting. The conspiracy theory is always interesting. To think about, to talk about. But I think at the professional level that they're at, they could hopefully be more uh, mature that they could accept and tell their fans, listen, we lost, uh, there's winning and losing in sports. There's only one winner out of the Super Bowl. That's what makes it so exciting and competitive. Uh, and they could, you know, they could be able to appreciate the, the hard work of the other team. It comes back to sportsmanship, understanding that there's only one winner and that both teams are, are both want that trophy, the Vince Lombardi trophy, uh, but only one can get it. Uh, but the conspiracy theories are interesting, and I'm sure it will create a lot of dialogue and plenty of hours of talk on sports radio.
0: This is big overall. Um, in the upcoming of possible conspiracy theories coming up in the future, this could be a major Kickoff to possible talks on many shows, radio shows, TV shows, whatever it may be, to talk about the 49ers and their Super Bowl loss. How it could have been a pos- positive loss overall. So, Dr. Rob Blanchard, thanks again for joining me on Carbonized Corner. All the best. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon. So that's Dr. Rob Lancer. Overall, just a great talk and an interesting story from the New York Post on how the 49ers' loss in the Super Bowl might have prevented a coronavirus disaster. Next up, we'll talk with Paul Bonagoro and Zach Mott, two analysts from Massapequa Sports. Paul, also a varsity athlete from Massapequa. We'll talk with both of them about the upcoming NFL draft all on Anchor from Spotify on Carbonite's Corner. All right, folks, welcome back to Carbonized Corner on Anchor from Spotify, our fifth and final segment today. You know, the NFL Draft that's coming up, and we'll talk about the sleepers, the top prospect, who should go where. NFL Draft is on April 23rd on ESPN, so we'll give you a little preview of that right now on our final segment, who are the top players to watch out for in the NFL Draft. Joining me right now over the phone, we have Paul Bonaguer, who's a, a Massapequa baseball color analyst, also a star varsity basketball player for Massapequa as well. Also, Zach Mott, a color analyst for Massapequa football, Massapequa. With basketball and mass people lacrosse as well. They both join me now. And gentlemen, how do you do? How
3: are you doing, guys?
0: Good, good, good. Excellent. So, you know, let's get it, it, into this conversation, and this is a big draft class. Once again, you have so many top prospects, you know, two of the top quarterbacks in the land, Joe Burrow, Two attack of Tagovailoa. You have a really depth wide receiver class with CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy and Henry Riggs and some of those players like that. And you also have some key defensive players like Isaiah Simmons and Chase Young and Jeff uh, Okuda. So you have some of those players, Paul. Let's talk about the quarterbacks first with Tua and Joe Burrow. Out of those two quarterbacks, which one is the most successful? Which one should should we talk about and watch out for more?
3: Well, I I think we should talk about the unanimous. I think number one pick, the consensus number one pick, Joe Burrow at LSU. Right. The man in fifteen games. I think he dominated. I think that's the best way to put it. In fifteen games, he put up over fifty-five hundred passing yards. Over, completed over 75% of his passes, along with 60 touchdowns. Uh, again, he's a versatile player. Again, he can sit in the pocket and sling it, and he can also get outside the pocket and display some athleticism, which surprised a lot of people at LSU. But I wanted to go with this Tyson Trophy. I think he's a deserving number one pick and hopefully the Bengals can turn it around with that
0: selection. Definitely. I mean, the Bengals will most likely take Joe Burrow. Again, you mentioned the Heisman Trophy, all that. But, Zach, could an argument be made that, let's say, Tua Tagovailoa was healthy, that he could have been the number one pick this year, that he could have done better than Joe Burrow, get over 60 touchdowns, that he could have led his team to a possible national championship again, Tua Tagovailoa, and that he he could have won the Heisman as well. Is that a reasonable argument to make for Tua?
2: You know, entering the 2019-20 NFL season, the tank for two movement started for most Miami Dolphins fans. He was viewed as the number one pick coming into the season. Like you mentioned, injuries definitely derailed that for him. However, you know, yes, I do think there is a valid argument. When you look at two his stats from 2018 And 2019, you know, 69% completion percentage in 2018, 3,966 yards, 43 touchdowns to go along with six interceptions, and then even improved on the completion percentage in 2019 with Mm 71.4%, and then 2,840 yards this season, 33 touchdowns and three interceptions, and only nine games played. So I definitely think there's a case to be made for Tua if he was healthy to be this number one overall pick, but with all the injury concerns that have plagued him over the last two years, I definitely think Joe Burrow's the number one pick. However, I do think, too, as the more talented quarterback, he's a guy that can really sling the ball downfield. He had weapons in Alabama, whatever system I think he ends up in and the NFL, I think he'll translate
0: well into it. Well, I mean, overall, a big question for Tua, of course, is the hip and the health concerns overall. ESPN's Rex Ryan's been talking about that; that it's a major gamble. But you know, this has been one major injury in Tua's career. He's had a couple minor ones here and there, Paul. But really, after one major injury, is it really a major concern for Tua Tagovailoa over that one uh, mishap? I don't think
3: it's time to panic yet with Tua Tagovailoa. Again, he displayed a uh, valid skill set throughout his college career at Alabama, mm-hmm. including having over 33 touch- having 33 touchdowns in his senior season, which right. again. Shows his versatility as a quarterback. But if he can stay on the field, I think he's a great talent and someone to look out for in the NFL.
0: And, I mean, Zach, overall, you know, we said Joe Burrow's probably going number one, but there's a chance Tua can go either number two to Washington, number three to Detroit, or number five to Miami. You know, those are the three options right now for Tua Tagovailoa. Out of those three teams, which one makes the most sense? And what let, let's say a team like Detroit or Washington or Miami? Let's say they take a risk with taking two. How much of, of of a risk could it be on the contrary side that people are saying?
2: Well, answering your first question, I definitely think Miami is probably the best fit for him right. in terms of you know they have the biggest quarterback need. You know, right now the Redskins with Dwayne Haskins entering his second year this season, and then Matthew Stafford, the veteran for Detroit. But, you know, I I think the injury risk for, for both Detroit and Washington could be a little bit of a concern, which is why he could drop down a little bit. However, you know, it makes more sense for a team like Detroit than Washington because Detroit is a veteran quarterback and a larger contract than Matthew Stafford. If they're right. able to trade him, it's very, very possible that they could take Tua.
0: But, again, it depends on if they're able to trade him. Matt Stafford in his huge contract. I mean, again, all valid points. And, Paul, the same thing goes back to Washington and Detroit, you know, both teams can use defense. Uh, the Redskins have a chance of getting Chase Young, who's a d- dynamic pass rusher. Put him with Jonathan Allen. That could be a one-two punch right there. And the Lions just lost Darius Slay. You have Jeff Okuda. that That's a great replacement right there. But again, for Detroit, you know, with Matthew Stafford, you can trade him away, save some cap space, give Tua a rookie deal. Overall, if you're the Detroit and Washington, which way should you be looking at Number one. Number two, how should they be approaching that as well?
3: I think Washington should definitely go to a defensive player with the selection, since especially last year they used a lot of picks on bolstering their offensive line and getting a new quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. So I think Chase is the perfect fit for Washington, especially since he has Aaron Donald-type potential as an edge rusher in the NFL. And I think he could be a very talented player in the NFL future pro bowler, definitely. And for Detroit, with the signing of Desmond Trufant, but losing Darius Slay, I think Trufant and... Possibly Jeff Okuda can make a perfect one-two punch for Detroit in the secondary, which they could really use right now, especially since their offense isn't the most consistent.
0: I mean, uh, and overall, some, some other defensive players to talk about. Isaiah Simmons is, is another big one. Zach, on your show on the Zach Macho, you and I had talked about yesterday what the Giants could possibly do at number four, and I said that Isaiah Simmons should go number four to the Giants. Is that a logical, reasonable move that the Giants need to make? You know, it's definitely logical. Isaiah Simmons is a stud
2: on the defensive side of things. He can play multiple positions. He's lined up at nickel corner. He's lined up at safety. He's lined up on the defensive line in college. So he definitely has the experience all around, right? But, you know, I think there's a bigger need for the Giants at tackle than at defense. You know, Simmons is a dynamic talent, but I definitely think that the Giants, if given the opportunity
3: at number four to take one of the top tackles, definitely have to look that way to protect their franchise quarterback.
0: I mean, again, all great points and all that, but Paul, the same argument could be made. I made the same argument on Zach's show yesterday that overall, even though you have the fourth pick and you could use a tackle, you can still take Isaiah Simmons at number four, but then you can use some money like you have already on Blake Martin Martinez and some other pieces get that offensive lineman and Jason Peters pop. What's your thoughts on that possible uh, move?
3: I think that the Giants could honestly look to trade down in the draft, especially with the given talent that they have and their numerous number of picks, especially when they want to create cap space and possibly find a great defensive back up. And the Giants use pass rusher defense.
0: So I mean, again, overall, you know, very big moves overall, not just for the New York Giants, but all these teams. Let's flip back to the wide receiver conversation, and you know, Ceedee Lamb, Jeffrey Judy, Henry Ruggs the Third, Justin Jefferson, lots of top wide receivers in this draft class. T. Higgins, another one out of Clemson. You know, it's a very skilled wide uh, receiver class in this upcoming draft. Zach, you look at CeeDee Lamb, Jeffrey Judy, all these players. First of all, in your opinion, who's the top receiver out of all the ones I mentioned? And number two, that top receiver, where could they end up possibly?
2: Yeah, when we talk about the wide receiver position, I definitely see Jerry Judy being the top wide receiver selected. I think he selected number 11 overall to the New York Jets. Okay, You know, he performed very well with Tua at quarterback, uh, as a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, put up ridiculous stats in 2018. 15 games played, over 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns on 68 receptions. You know, he ran a 4.45 40 time. He, you know, he really looks like the most physical wide receiver uh, you can really see in this draft class. And I really like Jerry Judy going to the Jets. I think he'd be a. A
0: major player in that mix of Jets wide receivers, and I think he'd work well with Sam Darnold. Right, definitely. I mean, you know, the Jets losing Robbie Anderson, one of their key wide receivers the past few years. He goes to Carolina. Jeffrey Judy could be an also fit, but you know, Ceedee Lamb, he was excellent at Oklahoma. He had Baker Mayfield one year, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. You know, three solid quarterbacks at the college level. Baker and Kyler Murray, of course, at the NFL level now. Jalen Hurts, I believe, is also in this draft class. This year. But either way, you know, CD Lamb's had top quarterbacks that he's dealt with. I personally think that he can he can get drafted by the Eagles. And I say the Eagles because the Eagles can use a receiver and they 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 can put it with Alshon Jeffrey, they put in with Zach Ertz, and Carson Wentz can use another receiver. But for the Eagles to get there, You know They they would either have to wait it out and get CeeDee Lamb if they're lucky at 21 or they would have to trade up to pick him up overall. Paul, what's your thoughts on that scenario? Could CeeDee Lamb find his way in Philadelphia or could there be another team trying to grab CeeDee Lamb?
3: I think that a lot of different teams will have interest in CeeDee Lamb especially with his experience with NFL caliber quarterbacks and and, uh, Kyler and Baker and Jalen Hurts. I, I think I think C.D. Lamb would be a perfect fit in Philadelphia, but if, it, if that doesn't happen,
0: I think a lot of other teams would be willing to move up and show interest in the services. Which teams do you think? He's standing at 6'2". He is a versatile
3: Skill so set. He's pretty fast. And he had over 1,300 receiving yards, which adds to his already diverse skill set in the NFL.
0: Definitely. Which teams do you think that could make a move? Oakland is one that comes to my mind as well.
3: Yeah, I think, I think Oakland is – the other team I think that could really make a push for his services, especially Gruden in his past heavy offense along with the solid running game. I think Gruden could use a wide receiver to go along with Darren Waller in the mm-hmm. passing
0: game. So I mean, you know, lots of scenarios involving CeeDee Lamb as well. Jeffrey Judy, Henry's a third, many wide receivers in this highly skilled wide receiver draft class overall. I want to talk about some sleepers now. I'll start with a guy, you know, out of Ohio State, very consistent, very successful, his three years with the Buckeyes. That's a guy who personally he's falling in the second round in many mock drafts. But if you think about it, in my opinion, I think he should be a first-round pick because he's been so successful and a key piece to an Ohio State team that has been a contender for the national championship for the past few seasons. That man is the running back, number two, J.K. Dobbins. And I say J.K. Dobbins because, I mean, his his freshman year, over 1,400 rushing yards at about seven touchdowns. You take away to the sophomore year, a little bit of a decrease in in, in the amount of rushing yards he had by about 400, but he just had a breakout year this past year. His junior year, over, uh, what over what rushing yards, twenty one touchdowns in total, three hundred rushing attempts at least. So overall, J.K. Dobbins should be getting more uh, attribution and more should should be looked at more, in my opinion, because of the success he had this past junior year. You know, being those top one of those top running backs, if not the top running back. In the nation, you know, this past season with college football. So Zach, what are your thoughts on that? How about J.K. Dobbins? Is he being underrated a little bit, in your opinion?
2: You know, I really like J.K. Dobbins as a player. I think he has a lot of different skills. I think he's a very skilled player. My only concern for drafting J.K. Dobbins would be just the fact that the two seasons before this one, his production wasn't really there. Okay, I say that in the sense that you know, in 2017, only 1,400 rushing yards. And I say only because in 2018, he even decreased, went to 1,053 yards. And then 2019, comes back up to score 2,003 rushing yards, 21 total touchdowns. He had a ridiculous 2019 season. But the 2017 and 18 seasons really don't fall in line with that. I'm going to follow that up with a guy I really think is a sleeper pick, a guy that I think is a better running back than J.K. Dobbins, has proved himself At the college level, that's Jonathan Taylor of the Wisconsin Badgers. He has been absolutely ridiculous, breaking all types of uh, college football records. 2017, only 23 yards short of a 2,000-yard season. 2018, 2,100 yards. And 2019, 2,003 rushing yards. Scoring double-digit touchdowns in every single season as a member of the Wisconsin Badgers. I just think Jonathan Taylor is a better physical guy. He reminds me a lot of Saquon Barkley Mm -hmm. in the way that he's a little bit bigger, a bit more physical. I just think he has a great ability to be a successful running back at the NFL level.
0: So, I mean, you know, we talked about two of the top running backs in the game, J.K. Dobbins, uh, Jonathan Taylor overall. Could be a big battle between those two of who ends up in the first round. I think Dobbins should be rated a a little bit higher. But, of course, to your respect, you know, Jonathan Taylor does have better stats overall compared to J.K. Dobbins. Paul, you know, in your eyes, who is a top sleeper for you, whether it's a running back or not?
3: I think my top sleeper is tight end. Again, tight ends in the NFL are really important. Looking at the success of Travis Kelsey and
0: George Kittle yes. in the running game, and Darren Waller in Oakland, I think
3: a tight end would be perfect for some NFL teams with pass-heavy looks. And I think a guy that could have great potential in the NFL is Randy Moss's son, Darius Moss, a tight end over at LSU. He had almost 600 yards receiving as a sophomore on the team, and he had four touchdowns. Including two in the national championship game, so it just shows his growth throughout the season. And I think that a tall tight end standing at six foot three, at a slim two fifty, with a great stiff arm—if you look at his tape—I mm-hmm. think Thaddeus Moss can be a great player
0: in the NFL. You mentioned Thaddeus Moss, you know, of course, the uh, the son of legend Randy Moss. Of the NFL and Thaddeus Moss, if you're predicting, you know he's that physical player, a key piece offensively over 600 receiving yards for a tight end, a key piece to a national championship team at LSU. Should a team like the Green Bay Packers or the or the New England Patriots or a team that really needs a tight end consider him either late in the first or maybe in the first round overall, or or in the second maybe, or even earlier?
3: I think that Thaddeus Moss is a second round pick, despite some hype of him getting into the first round, but I think a team needing a tight end can really use his skill set. I think a team like uh, the Steelers, who need a second tight end, or Washington, who needs a tight end that's really the departure of Vernon Davis, I think Darius Moss could be a perfect fit in some places.
0: So, lots in store for the NFL draft coming up April 23rd on ESPN, ABC, all those networks together from the 23rd of April to the 25th of April. Zach Ma, Paul Bonaguro, thanks for the time to join us. Both color analysts from Massapequa Athletics. Paul, of course, a star varsity basketball player with Massapequa as well. So, folks, that's our episode. Thanks for joining us. That's also all wrap for the NFL Draft and our NFL episode overall on Carbonized Corner. Next week, we'll have all debates, the entire episode. We'll see you then on Carbonized Corner, all on Anchor from Spotify. So long, and stay safe.